Pastor Chris's podcast. Well, we love to do that. Another thing we love to do, Avery and I were always inventing phrases. We love to invent phrases. We thought that was important. We invented phrases like ilk, I-L-K, was a super word. Somebody pulls a dumb pun, you don't go, ugh, you go ilk. That sort of says it, you know, ilk. <laughs> Another thing we were doing, we were trying to invent cuss words for ministers. As most of you know, ministers are not permitted to use layman's cuss words. <laughs> so we thought we would help them out. Now, people have the wrong attitude about ministers. They're really human. I can prove that. I am one. It's important to me to be considered as human. I don't want to slam my thumb in the car door and have to go verily, verily. You know, really. That is, that is not fair. Or stump your toe in the dark and you don't want to go, behold. You know, this. It doesn't get the pain out, really. You need to be able to kick a stump somewhere and go, woo-ha, you know, or something like that. So we're trying to help people get some ventilation language. So we thought up a couple of words. One was boogly, B-O-O-G-L-E-Y, boogly. Really, you could use that and say, get your boogly feet off my bed, right? That would work. <laughs> or you could say, uh, blotchy, B-L-O-T-C-H-E-Y, blotchy. You say, get your blotchy feet off my boogly bed, right? Those were interchangeable. You could tell a guy off and get away with it. Nobody would report you to the pastor. I thought that was good. That was funny, but it, it <laughs> we, you know, we all have dealt with this kind of different language that we ought to say or ought not to say, things that our mother taught us not to say. But um, I remember one of my most vivid early memories is the time that the very first time I saw my mama cry. Do you remember that? Now, you know, as a child, of course, you, you stump your toe or you pinch your finger, you get hurt and you cry. It's a normal thing for kids to do. But as a young child, you'd ever look, at least I did, and didn't look at my mom and ever think that she would do something like that. But the very first time I saw her cry, she, she had the, those windows that slide up and down and she was trying to close the window. And for some reason, it sort of jammed as she was pulling it down and she was putting a little pressure on it. And then it came down and it pinched her finger. And that was the very first time. Um, now, if that had happened to me, I probably would have said boogly or something like it. But I don't remember if she did say something that she shouldn't have said. But I do remember for the very first time seeing my mama cry. And it just dawned on me, oh my gosh, as a little child looking with wonder at this grown-up that you cared so much about, she's actually human. When she gets hurt, she cries, and just like I do. And I remembered that. But um, she probably was uh, much more guarded with what she would say than I would have been. I know that because when I was probably eight or nine years old, I went over to my uncle's house. And now my mom had always taught me not to use bad language. But this particular time was at my uncle's house. And my uncle and my cousin and I think my aunt was out in the front yard too. And we were throwing a baseball back and forth and we were just having a good time and but they one time they threw it to me and I missed it and it went the ball went over into the shrubs in front of the house while well, I ran over you know being a kid we were having fun so I just ran over real fast and I reached down to grab the the ball and this was in the shrubbery that my uncle had just recently pruned so he had cut off 
one of the limbs and it made a nice point. And as I bent down, my naked eye, because I didn't wear glasses back then, went straight into that pointed limb. And I immediately jumped up as an eight or nine year old and said, shoot, 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 shoot. But I didn't say shoot. But um, to my credit, in the pain and the blur of that moment, after about four times, I realized my aunt and uncle are watching and I ought not be saying this word. So I did switch to shoot, shoot, shoot. And um, to their credit, even though they were uh, good Christian people who didn't uh, allow that kind of language in their home, they never once said anything to me in that moment or even after a bit about the word that I had said. They did take me to the hospital and um, thankfully I am not one-eyed Chris. Um, they put a patch over my eye and I was fine after about a week. So I'm fine today. But, um, you know, sometimes things happen and things come out of your mouth that you don't want to come out or that shouldn't come out. But have you ever thought, what is it that makes a word a cuss word? What is it that makes a word a cuss word? I mean, why is it okay for uh, Kelsey to say, Jack's got a poopy diaper? And that's fine. You expect that. But the same four-letter word used for a bo that bodily function can also be highly offensive. One word's okay, another word is not. Part of the reason is the value that society collectively over the ages has placed on some words over others. Another reason is that sometimes people intentionally choose certain words to make a very strong statement when they don't want to be ignored. There are actually several categories of language that people consider to be too taboo to speak. And when I first started this message series and started doing the research for it, I felt God was calling me to do this. And I found myself struggling with how do you describe what I'm going to be talking about? Because on the one hand, I want to say, well, it's going to be a, a message series about profanity or it's going to be a message series about cussing. And, or swearing. And then as I looked at it, I realized that there are all these different categories, but we tend to use them all interchangeably to mean the same thing. Words you're not supposed to say. But for instance, um, we sometimes would call it profanity. Well, profanity is technically using words that profane what is sacred. And so that's a certain category of words. And we talked about that a little bit last week. We talked about how sometimes our actions can profane what is sacred. And actions speak louder than words. So actually, bad behavior, profaning behavior, is worse than profaning words. Another category would be what we call cussing or cussing if you're in the South, which is slang for cursing, as in placing a curse on someone. And that really gave me pause when I think about all the cussing that we see going on in the world today. You think about how frequently people cuss. What does it mean? What kind of spiritual damage might be happening all around the world because of all these curses that are floating so freely from people's mouths? What does that do to society? Another category could be called swearing. Swearing was originally a spiritual act or a religious act. We still see swearing. Swearing could be a bad thing, but swearing could be a good thing. In the court of law, people may swear on a Bible to tell... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> swear, they may swear to, to do what? 
Tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, right? Uh, at the end of the service today, Connie is going to join our church as a member of our church. She's going to swear right here in church, right in front of everybody. Can you believe that? She's going to swear to, you know, support the church with her prayers, her presence, her gifts, her service, and her witness. And you will all swear in church too. So you can go home today and you can tell everybody you meet, yeah, I went to church and I swore, all, I swore in church today. And everybody was fine with it. Everybody else swore too. But originally, the category of swearing was reserved for taboo language that misused words associated with religious swears. You know, Jesus said, um, you know, don't, don't let your yes be yes and your no be no. And it tells us don't to swear falsely. And so it's when you tell a lie, when you put your hand on the Bible and you tell a lie. Or in another sense, it could be when you swear, but you don't really mean it. Or if you just flippantly throw out your swears and your oaths and things like that. That's called swearing. Another category is dirty language. Dirty language is a category where, that uses words for foul things, private acts, and subjects that ought not to be talked about or ought to be avoided if, if possible. Of course, there's some unsavory subjects that you just got to discuss. Diapers have to be changed, right? Um, and so we have situations where there are polite ways to discuss those things like using the bathroom and spreading manure on your cornfield and you know, making love to your wife. There are ways to talk politely about things. Dirty language takes those delicate subjects and intentionally, on purpose, uses taboo words in order to make the language offensive. So, Quick overview there of all these different categories that we just sort of lump together. But that brings me to another category that is the subject of today's message, strong language. Strong language is a category that intentionally uses words from any of the previous categories on purpose to make a strong point. Now in church society, we usually avoid strong language. We prefer not to be nice and polite most of the time. However, we do read several situations in the Bible where people used strong language at certain times on purpose to make a point. One of those is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. We're going to read that. Matthew, 5, or Matthew 3, 5 through 10. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea and the Jordan Valley went out to see and to hear John. When they and, th and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children from Abraham. God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots from the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, John the Baptist, a lot of people realize and know that John the Baptist was a wild and fiery preacher. He was sent to prepare the people of Israel for the coming Messiah. John appears at the beginning of the New Testament, but he followed a long line of Old Testament prophets who often used strong language to shock their listeners into paying attention to what God was saying. So we could go through, if we had enough time, and we could pull out a whole bunch of different places in Scripture where the prophets use very strong language. Sometimes you have to look at it a little bit because it's in the Bible. And over the years, people don't like strong language in their Bibles. And so sometimes translators will change the words or they'll soften the language or just the fact that we're not speaking Hebrew or Greek anymore. The words that come down to us have become more accepted and don't seem as strong. But the words are there. One instance that I'll pull out is in 1 Kings chapter 18. The prophet Elijah uses some strong language. You remember the story where Elijah had a competition with the prophets of Baal. They go up on the mountain and, and, and they, the prophets of Baal build an altar and Elijah builds an altar. And they're going to call on their gods to rain down fire to consume the sacrifice. And so first the prophets of Baal go and they're praying and they're cutting themselves and they're crying to their god Baal, asking him to send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. And of course, Baal is not real, so nothing is happening. And meanwhile, Elijah, God's prophet, is taunting the prophets of Baal. He's saying, why isn't your prophet, why isn't your God listening? You, maybe you've got to cry louder. Maybe you've got to do this. Maybe you've got to do that. And then he says, maybe your God Baal has gone off to use the bathroom. But in the original Hebrew, he didn't really say gone off and use the bathroom. He kind of said something a little bit more stronger because he's taunting these guys. He's egging them on. At the end of the day, he prays to Yahweh, his God, and God sends fire consume the sacrifice. So there's strong language that's used there. The prophet Amos, in the book of Amos, called the women of Samaria fat cows in Amos 4.1. Now, that's kind of strong language, uh, kind of offensive. In Galatians chapter 1, this is in the New Testament, in verse 8, Paul says that anyone who corrupts the good news message about Jesus Christ is anathema. Is what literally he says, anathema. Anathema is a Greek word. It basically says God is going to damn that person to hell. So he's using some pretty strong language there. If you change the message about Jesus Christ, God is going to anathema you. Well, John the Baptist called the Pharisees a brood of snakes. Even sweet Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 12, 34, calling them a brood of snakes. Now, a brood is a large number of offspring from a mother animal. Usually, when we talk about broods, we're talking about birds or reptiles. They have a lot of eggs, and then the, they hatch, and they have a brood. However, I have heard some mothers jokingly refer to having a, a brood of children, if they had a whole bunch of them, right? And maybe if the whole bunch of them were a little bit unruly, it would be kind of a brood that they had. But in the case of John the Baptist, and also in the case of Jesus when he uses it, he was saying that the Pharisees were the offspring of a snake. 
He was saying, basically, your mama's a snake. Now, when you call somebody's mama a name, that's pretty tough. You don't do that, right? That makes people angry. That's pretty offensive to talk about someone's mama. Now, also remember that in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, the devil appears as a snake who slithers up alongside Adam and Eve and convinces them to eat the forbidden fruit and thus causes sin and death to enter into the whole world. So there we have another picture of the snake. And Jesus and John the Baptist and the Pharisees all knew this imagery of the snake. And so to call someone a snake in their culture was pretty bad. I mean, nobody wants to be called a snake. But by doing that, in the Bible, John the Baptist was saying these Pharisees are children of the devil. That's some pretty strong language. And John did that on purpose. Sometimes it takes strong language to verbally slap somebody upside the head and get their attention. The way the Pharisees were living was leading them to eternal damnation. Even worse, they were taking thousands and thousands of people with them to hell. Because first century Jews looked up to these Pharisees and Sadducees as their religious leaders who were supposed to know the right way to live in order to please God. And John and Jesus verbally slapped them for their damnable behavior. What do you do when someone is carelessly walking down the road and they're not paying attention and they're texting on their phone and they're about to step off of the curb out in front of a car, do you say, um, excuse me, sir? No, you say, hey, you, look out, right? You use strong, loud language to get their attention. You pick the right language for the right time. And if that person day after day after day, keeps doing the same thing, you may even yell at them, hey, you idiot, stop it. Pay attention to what you're doing, right? You use that language on purpose because it might be what it takes to shake that person into consciousness to do the right thing. A wise person learns to use the right words at the right time in the right way. There may be a place, sometimes, for strong language. On the other hand, overusing strong language weakens its effect. And using it inappropriately is just rude and ungodly. There's another category of bad language that people often use. We call expletives. Now, I'm not an English teacher, and I'm not sure about this. Maybe there's someone out there that can tell me. But I I think expletives might actually be a literary term that means um, it's it's an empty word that's added to fill out a sentence. It's a word that's not necessary to be there. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a, a... Originally, I don't think it necessarily meant it was a bad word. It just was an extra word in the sentence that made it not so concise. You didn't need that word there. But what it has come to mean in our times is that it's a a word that's been added in to fill out a sentence that's often a bad word. 
Now, in the clip at the beginning of the service, the comedian Grady Nutt invented a few harmless expletives so that pastors could use them. Get your boogly feet off my blotchy bed, he said, right? And you could say the words boogly and blotchy are empty, useless words. But they're not really empty and meaningless and pointless, are they? I mean, they have a purpose. They intensify the sentence. It's one thing to say, get your feet off my bed. But if you say, get your blotchy feet off my boogly bed, that's not, it, has, it means the same thing, but it's, it's stronger, right? It's stronger. Cares more passion. And the more common custom in our day is to use taboo words as expletives. People don't say boogly and blotchy. They use foul words that we all know were quite offensive in the past, but today those offensive words have become more and more commonplace. And it may be that soon some of the words our mama told us not to say simply turn into adjectives that everybody uses. I hope not, because I believe words matter. Words shape our attitudes, and they affect the way we relate to one another. I don't want our world to be a place where using offensive language is just the normal way people talk. Because the normal way people talk quite often translates into the normal way people treat one another. And I want our world to be a place where people are kind and patient and gracious to one another. I want love to be the prevailing attitude that's in people's hearts. I want goodness and purity and holiness to abound. And so I want us as Christians to do as Philippians chapter 4, 8 says, where it says, fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And my prayer is that as Christians who are supposed to help the world be a better place, we will use words that express thoughts that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable, excellent and worthy of praise. There's a place for strong language, but it oughtn't be common language. The prophets sometimes use strong language. John the Baptist and even Jesus spoke harsh truth when they called the Pharisees a brood of vipers. But those weren't empty words. They were used on purpose with meaning and they got people's attention for the right reasons. But today, as we come to the conclusion of the message, perhaps I need to use a little bit of strong language for truth. Today, I want people to hear what I say wherever they are. People need to get their hearts right with God. Are you listening? Do you need strong language to offend you? To, to move you from being indifferent to paying attention? John the Baptist asked the Pharisees, Who warned you to flee for the coming, from the coming wrath? He called them a bunch of snakes, a brood of snakes, and he said, Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Now, in first century 
Israel uh, was an agricultural society. One of the common sights they would have seen every year would have been farmers who were burning their fields. They would burn their fields with fire to clear off all of the underbrush and weeds and things that were growing. It would clear the field off so they could plant it. Now, what do you think is out there in a, a field full of high, tall grass? I know one thing I'm worried about when I walk through grass like that. There might be some snakes out here in this grass. So whenever they'd light those fields of grass on fire, guess what would come slithering out of those fields to get away from the fire? Snakes would be fleeing from the coming fire. And so as John the Baptist says, you brood of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He was picturing those snakes slithering out of the fields to get away from the fire. Well, we all realize, or we ought to realize, that there's a wrath that's coming. There is a wrath. There is a day of reckoning. There is a time when God is going to come and hold this world and all of the people in it accountable. And that could be pictured like a fire of God's wrath that is coming. And Jesus has warned us and John the Baptist has warned us that we need to turn from our sins and turn to God. The very first sermon that Jesus pre preached and the one that he preached throughout the New Testament again and again was simply this. Repent of your sin, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, that fire, that day of reckoning, it's right here. You don't know how much time you've got. You better repent of your sin and turn to God. The burning fire of God's wrath is coming. All of us are going to have to face it one day. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't have to be afraid of that day of reckoning. Because today, right now, we can turn our hearts to God through Jesus Christ. Christ has already paid the penalty of our sin. He's already covered the consequences. And we can be set free from that. We can make a fresh start and begin doing the right thing right now. Regardless of whatever mistakes or intentional things we've done wrong in the past, we can be made right with God from this day forward if we trust in what Christ has done for us. So we need to do that. We need to do that. We need to stop just blindly walking through life, carelessly thinking everything's fine and we can do whatever we want and we don't have to have a care in the world. Because one day, we're going to have to face the music. What about you? Have you turned to Christ? Or are you deciding today that you're just going to keep right on going, doing whatever you want to do? And who cares who it hurts, or whether it's the right thing to do, or even if it's God's original purpose for me? My prayer is that today you will decide to turn to Christ and to let him be the Lord of your life. Gracious Father in heaven, I pray for each person that's here, whether they're online or they're in this church or whether they're even hearing this message as a recording weeks, months, or years from now. I pray they will hear your word directly to them saying, repent of your sin 
and turn to me through my son, Jesus Christ. And so find salvation that we all desperately need. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.